This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where appropriately on this week's episode, Mark Lopez of Gather and Feast talks about his love of tomatoes. Well, now in season at Zupan's Oregon Star Tomatoes. They're back, they're locally grown, and they are perfect to pair with their fresh stretched mozzarella. Also, this week on sale is Double R Ranch T-Bone Steaks, Carlton Farms Pork Tenderloin, and Mary Hill Peaches, which are all great for guilt, which are all great for grilling. So get the grill out and get to Zupans. And one of the things we love to talk about when we talk about Zupans is the resource they are. So they've got these great things on sale, but maybe not might not be familiar with what to do with them. Go to their website, become a member of the news feed, and you'll get actual recipes on how to cook up a great carne asada recipe or Korean barbecue or chimichurri. If you've never made chimichurri for you, you can go to zupans.com. The recipe is there. And that doesn't mean that you can't ask the butcher, which, by the way, we know Zupans has one of the best butcher shops in mm-hmm. town. And also they have lots of prepared foods. That you might even catch Chef John behind there, and you can ask him if you have a question about the best way to prepare something. Very nice. And coming up on July 26th, that's a Wednesday, it's a flat chicken one-day sale. This is where you get a spatch-cocked chicken that can lay flat on your uh, grill or your Traeger. Uh, they'll take care of that for you at your local Zupan. So save the date, flat chicken day, Wednesday, July 26th. That should be something that is mentioned on every radio station around the country, Flat Chicken Day. Flat Chicken Day, yes. spatch cocking. Spatch cocking, the whole thing. Yeah, the whole that's thing. good for morning shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can find Zupans there online, or you can go to any one of three locations. Where are they, Court? That would be West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and McAdam. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm co-host, Court Johnson. I see you went to a Giants game, Court. Baseball's in your... Major League Baseball is somewhere that's close to your... uh, that you are in close proximity, to which you are in close proximity. Yeah, I think it's worth talking about, and I know there is baseball culture in... Portland is there's been minor league teams and there's the Portland Pickles but when there's a major league exactly when there's a major league team in your city or close by it's truly a culture and I'm I'm witnessing it for firsthand I'm I'm literally a block away from from uh, Oracle Park where the Giants play and you know half of the week when they're in town there's just this community of people bringing their families and friends and the bars are thriving uh, because of it and uh, it, it's it's pretty special, and I can understand why you have this affinity for the Mets, um, having grown up with that. And uh, it, it's just certainly special. I texted you in the middle of the game because uh, you had uh, mentioned uh, garlic the fries garlic to fries. me in passing, and I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> I, I have to report, Chris, despite you reminding me, I didn't go get the garlic fries. I got something else. It's something um, else for you to go. F- you you have I'll something go back. to look forward to. Oh yeah. yeah. I was there with my wife, and it was her first major league baseball game. I I've been to really? a couple of I've been to a couple of Angels games, but that was our that was her first uh, major league. We got a bobblehead 
Um, it was a bo- you can kind of you can see it on the camera right behind me up there on that shelf. It's two who is it? It's his name is Jock Peterson. Jock oh, Peterson. Peterson, yes, who's yeah. slammed he's a, the Mets a couple of times. Yeah, and he's a he's a local guy, so they made him a bobblehead. Oh, week. they'll make bobbleheads all year yeah. of the different players, Just different but people. I'm glad you experienced that. You know, it's. Um, People say, "Oh, we have the pickles or the yeah. the the hops." The hops out it's in Hillsboro. It's cool. It's baseball. It's just not the same. It's not thing. the same, and it's not something you're going to follow in the same way. Yeah, but it's good. Good for you, and just for those who you know, we can't assume everybody listens to every episode and knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. You, uh, uh, Court, you, um, you know, experienced a career advancement recently in you know when we started doing this podcast you were a kink and you filled different roles there you did mornings you did afternoons Mm -hmm. you did middays you did everything you started recording from your home when during the pandemic and then uh recently you were offered a position in san francisco on a morning show you can go into details on that and so now we're doing this podcast where it's a portland food scene podcast and we record it we used to have a studio it was yep. great in portland in portland now we're recording it from the bay the, the bay area and manzanita yeah yeah we are truly truly remote but the, the focus of uh, to your point the focus of the podcast remains the same that we're talking to the people and uh, movers and shakers that uh, make up the portland food scene and and occasionally we might have some people trickle in that uh, are portland adjacent in fact I, I, it's going to happen soon there's a, a great uh, restaurant owner here a block away from me who uh, grew up in Portland, uh, but now lives in the Bay Area and, and has a nice little place down here. So we'll talk about I her. think that's a good story. I mean, those are the stories of Portland people. Um, also, I want I, someday, either you or I, or maybe we can arrange for both of us to do it, is to interview my cousin who's got the oh, Cold yeah. Valley Tavern down there, yep. the, the consummate neighborhood spot mm-hmm. that he opened. Oh, man, right during or after the pandemic i don't remember Man, but, are he's, we tr- but he's are we truly out of the pandemic chris i think we are we're not wearing masks not wearing uh, masks like that yeah. anymore i yeah. might on a plane right but um but no uh, jimmy angelus has been a part of the san francisco food scene for years mm-hmm. as in front of the house prominent restaurants downtown union square and also his famous bacon bacon food trucks and and brick and mortar that was featured on good morning america yeah. in a big way a few years ago which if you fly through the uh san francisco airport it's there at you're gonna the, see it there uh, too the united terminal yeah right and there's a connection there too because he and rick Gencarelli were buddies and right. um rick helped him get started a little bit with menus with bacon bacon and uh yeah there's a there's a solid connection that's how i know rick mm-hmm. so hey let's go a little further I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened, but it, because if not for my cousin Jimmy, there may not be a Lardo and Grassa. They may st- they wouldn't still be food trucks or, or Lardo. Rick still wouldn't be there, but I helped foster that connection to help get that restaurant started. So I'm only saying that because that's a Jim San Francisco connection. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my it, God. It, it, is that something you should edit? That's a little long, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't think it is. Yeah. So, but speaking of when we say Portland food scene podcast, it's really an Oregon podcast we have here. And, and today we're going to feature uh, 
someone who grew up in the Portland food scene, not grew up, but started it back in 1997. So we have a 26-year span that Mark Lopez of Gather and Feast Farm and Crave Catering is going to cover for us. And I found it really interesting, all the all the twists and turns that he took that happened that weren't necessarily planned, but that came about because of a philosophy that he learned from, not solely, but uh, uh, from Tony Robbins and uh, mm. how he learned to be positive. Court, I think I need a little of that. Sure, to I think we Take all the do. negative and make it positive. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great story, and uh, I really enjoyed this interview, and we're promoting um, his... Erica Palmer's Plate and Pitchforks, the last season, one of the last dinners, is going to be at his farm on August 5th. We'll talk about that. And, um, and that's with Carlo LaMagna um, and some others as well. So we'll talk about that. But also, he's got a really interesting business. And I suggest to anybody, stay with it through the whole episode because the growth of it and how he went from a taqueria to a catering business and, you know, providing catering services to Portlandia and some major companies in the, the film industry and then how he built the farm from there and now he's doing some other things. It's really fascinating. And then at the end, we'll get to hear some of his favorite Vancouver spots. And those who are in the know know that Vancouver's a burgeoning food scene right now uh kind of benefiting from some of the things that have gone on in portland so yeah i was actually just going to say that chris the vancouver has been a beneficiary of kind of the opposite of what we're seeing in portland similar to what we've seen on the the west side of of portland out in beaverton and and hillsborough a lot of people moving out that way right so So, uh it's it mark has some good suggestions and even discussed with me doing some um doing a trip someday so we'll see if we can put that together um speaking of trips hey yeah. nice segue court that Perfect. was great <laughs> um couple of trips that people might want to look into i always look at these as public service announcements if you, people don't know about them they can't take them doesn't mean everybody has to go um, but we've got a great, the fourth edition of our Basque Country trip with Erdineta, Chef Javier Canteras, his uh, dear wife, JL, who is really fun to be with on these trips. And speaking of fun to be with, Andre Barnes, who is anybody who's been to Erdineta and had the good fortune to have him serve you. He helps serve your your culinary and beverage needs on the trip, but also he's a lot of fun and you know i don't go out late night but he helps he helps uh take care of that people uh having fun off itinerary Hmm. so that's going on next april late april and um we have some spots left we've already started to fill that and i'm pretty sure given the fact that the last three editions of that trip sold out that one will too so Please get on it. Get in touch with me. That's easy to find. The itinerary at portlandfoodadventures.com, where you'll also, starting today, see our trip to Sardinia with Austria Ensign. Um, she's been uh, taking care of us in Italy for, oh, my God, six years now. Um, we've done a number of trips. We've got our Sicily trip in less than two months. No, no about two months now. Um, and so Sardinia is really cool. She 
convinced me that this is a place that we should all go. And as soon as I was convinced or or decided, okay, let's give that a whirl, then people started telling me they really wanted to go to Sardinia. So um, it's pretty cool. It's the island north of Sicily. And uh, we've got a, a really fun trip. It's a lot of water and um, a lot of great food. So see those too. And before you do that, what, do, what does everybody need to do, Court? We have to get better at this. Mm. Well, we would appreciate you uh, uh, liking, subscribing. Um, what, what's the other terminology? I feel like I feel like I feel little, like your son, like my nephew, my, right. my daughters, um, you know, uh, on their YouTube channel, trying to get people to follow them. But oh no, I was going to say the way you, the, the, that I mentioned that to you, you, you seem oh, like, like what okay, do we need dad. to do? Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. Dad. Uh, yeah, we need we need to tell people to like and subscribe. It. <laughs> yeah, write it thirty times on the chalkboard. Yep. Everybody, get out there. You know what? Instead of writing it on the chalkboard, just do it. That's all. Just like go. and subscribe to the podcast. Yep. Share with your friends. You might want to. You probably want to share this with uh, Mark. Lopez of Gather and Feast Farm and Crave Catering right now. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. All right, Mark Lopez, by the way... I want to say, now that we're face-to-face, and I did see your picture online, you look familiar to me. Where might I have seen you in Portland? Because now um, you're, where, you know, where are you recording from? You have the farm in Vancouver, or north of Vancouver. So, yeah, we're, yeah just north of Vancouver. Um, the farm is in the center. Oh, geez. Um, That's a and, correct answer. Um, that means that was a correct answer. <laughs> we're playing the Right at the Fork game show here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and and then um, my catering company is my front door of Crave Catering faces White Owl Social Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know where that is in Southeast uh, Portland. Yep, I've um, been there. It's, it's the been a, it's been a while for an event a long time ago. Um, but but I am I'm also um, I find that I, I, I know a lot of people or a lot of like people who know people. Does that make sense? Like we have a lot of mutuals. And so, um, on social media, I just got very not shy of 
you know, sending friend requests. And so I know we're Facebook friends. Um, I know um, I, uh, you know, probably follow you on Instagram. Um, I'm, although I'm, I'm not as, not as active on Instagram. It seems where the farm is and, and what I'm doing, um, Facebook seems very, uh, I'm, I'm able to get into groups and neighborhoods and stuff like that. So, um, it's kind of cool. It's but, easier to navigate. Uh, I'm, maybe social media. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of getting tired of it all. I I'm at the point where all I like posting is pictures of my dog and, uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but it, I'm finding everything kind of tedious especially instagram which i used to love but at any rate that's beside the point but you wear a lot of hats um and uh so you got a few things going on you have the catering business and you have your farm which is um you got a you got a big farm dinner coming up in a couple of weeks which we'll talk about yeah um, a little later but um what are you into and of course we're going to get into how you got there Sure. So, um, you know, it, it's been this, let's see here in June end of June was marked 26 years in business for me. Um, I started, um, originally all this started as a taqueria in downtown Portland, um, in 1997 which I think might be a, a significant year for you as well. Oh my God, you're following me too much. No, it's, <laughs> it ha- it's not significant so, yeah. insofar as my Oregon life, but let's just leave it at that. No, it was a, it was yeah. a change. It was a change in my life. That's for sure. But, but more importantly, your taqueria, uh, in 1997, that's quite a while ago. That's when the whole scene was very different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, I was like brand new to Portland. Um, I, I mean, it, it, prior to that, I, I'd worked in food service since I was 14, but I never thought I would be doing this or in it the rest of my life. Um, I actually wanted to get into environmental sciences. What I would do, I don't know. Um, cause I'm not a science guy, but I, I just knew I wanted to make a difference. And, um, somehow, uh, the, the, gravitational pull of life brought me to Portland and um, where, you know, I learned about how really there's so much um, this emphasis and focus on sustainability out here um, that it, it's like, okay, well, of course it drew me in. Um, but in what better way to, to affect things in a space that I was already in um, in learning how to, you know, do things differently. And, and, you know, I was just telling um, some of you that I met the other day about how, like, how amazed that I was with the, um, the bounty, the, um, the amount of um, just amazing stuff that's grown in the, the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in San Diego and there's huge fields and, um, there's lots of agriculture in California. I just assumed, oh, yeah, it's all coming from California. Um, never realized this whole other world up here. Um, and so so when I moved here, opened the taqueria three weeks after moving here, um, I, um, I decided I, I got introduced to the farmer's market, PSU Park Blocks downtown. And 
I was like, oh, I've got to be there. So, um, so the next year I was able to get in and do some taco vending. Um, but I really wanted to like, just get in and connect with farms and the farmers. Um, I met, uh, David Yudkin from Hot Lips Pizza. And he's really the one that like planted this, not, not planted the seed, but like encouraged me like, dude, buy from the farms. You'll, you'll totally trust me. You'll get it. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, I was just buying conventionally, you know, talking to my Cisco rep, talking to my produce rep. Um, and over time it was just like, it, it made so much sense. Like the food is so much better when it's fresh and doesn't have to travel far to get to your plate. You wouldn't be the first one. This is a common thread amongst people in the food business in Portland and what drew them here. Aside from the um, the bounty that we have here, it's, you know, in 1997, I'm sure the cost of entry was pretty low also, lower than it would be today, for sure. So We started that restaurant on a, on a credit card with 10 grand um, and... Yeah. And look where you are now. And I will say, I want to comment on what you were talking about earlier. You are involved in environmental science on a farm. Um, so it's right. it's not like you strayed yeah. far away from it and you're doing something completely different. You found a way to be involved with it in a, in a different fashion. And uh, you didn't get there right away, right? You were buying from farmers and now you're, you're, now you're one of them. So, Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been quite the journey. I, I feel like it's, uh, you know, I've probably lived like four different lives since then. Um, so, so many like, uh, uh, new versions of myself and what I've learned and how I've grown and, you know, um, transition from, um, you know, growing up working in kitchens and back of the house to, now I'm running my own business and I got to learn how to, um, you know, do sales and marketing and accounting. You know, um, I just, I remember after opening the Taqueria, we were barely open a month. It was in downtown Southwest second, right across from the M Hill marketplace, barely open a month. And I get this phone call from a little company called Enron and they're like, Hey, do you guys do catering? I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Never catered anything in my life. Um, we, you know, I, I worked at uh, um, the Hard Rock Hotel in Vegas, mm -hmm. and we'd done some. I'd done some banquets, but never really like off-premise catering. And so after that phone call, I was like, okay, shit, I got to figure this out. How am I going to do this? And it's Enron. The bar is low. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the time, um, it's uh, they were, you know. Um, I, I mean, I, I see the catering thing was bound to happen, but later they would become totally pivotal in, um, how transforming that little taqueria into a catering company. Um, cause in, in 2001, there was nine 11 happened and that really affected business. And that was, you know, obviously horrible, um, on many levels. Um, but then after that, when the Enron scandal happened, um, I lost 40% of my walk-in traffic to the restaurant, like overnight, just, 
Um, you know, at, at the end of 2001, I was, I was in a funk. I was like, I think I have to close my business. I don't know what I can do. Um, and I don't know how to close. Did anybody say to you, just wait 19 years and see what's going to happen. That was exhibition season. (laughs) That they didn't. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, in, in, you know, it's interesting, the, um, you know, looking back over the timeline in the last 26 years, like the, the big challenges and the hurdles. And um, I just remember at that time, I was, you know, I felt the lowest of the low and, and um, I was willing to try or do anything. And um, I, somebody turned me on to Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins, you know. Um, and so I was listening to some of his stuff and, um, and he said something that really spoke to me. He said, you know, in life we're guided by questions. It's not the questions that other people ask us. It's the ones we ask ourselves internally. And he goes, and if you ask a shitty question, you're bound to get a shitty answer. And I was like, Oh man, I'm asking, how can I, how do I close a business? That feels like the shittiest question I could be asking right now. And um, and he offered, uh, you know, an, an, an alternative question is how can I make it work in spite of itself? And that question there has helped me, um, not just as a business, but personally over the years, um, overcome so many hurdles, um, with, you know, getting through that and, and then adjusting it and tweaking it and, and making it mine, um, how do I how do I uh, make it work in spite of itself and make it better than it was before? Um, and you know I keep going. Um, that so is, that's, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that, and thank you for bringing that to the podcast. Not only personally, but I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that could benefit from that simple thing and just you know turn turn a simple thing around and move in a in a better direction than the negative direction. And I think we're all. Anything like that is useful, um, and not only once to change your direction in 2001, but as you said, over and over again. I got a couple of those, but uh, they take work, right? They don't just – often yeah, when you're asking right. yourself the negative question, it's there, and it's implanted, and it's because you're dealing with some shit, and you have to consciously say, oh, I got to turn this around to turn that around. So, Yep, yep. Yeah, no, I've, I've come back to that. Many times, um, you know, 2009 um, is when I moved out of, or 2008 is when I moved out of the, the Taqueria space. And, uh, well, I'll go back to Enron really quick. Cause, yeah. Um, after that, the, the answer to that question was catering um, for me. And so we had, you know, we were at that point, we were a restaurant that did some takeout kind of drop-off catering. Um, and, um, what I had done at that point was I flipped the business model to be a catering company with a storefront for lunch. And then later I would rebrand as Crave Catering and then move out of that location, move to the east side across the street from, uh, White Owl Social Club. And, um, and we've been there since 2008. Um, but then immediately right after 2008 was 2009, the big financial crash and, and all that stuff. And that question came into play again. Um, and, and somehow that got me into film production catering, which was 
um, about the only thing that was, uh, that I could find that was, um, you know, that had budgets and were ordering food. So, um, that led down a whole nother path of, um, how'd you, you know, get into film? For, how did you get into, did you get a call? How'd you get into film production catering? I'm sure it, a lot of people would like thing. to be into that. So, okay. So where we're located, we're just off the Hawthorne bridge and we were absolutely dead. We had zero business. And I'm like, you know, I've got this catering van with my logo all over it. I'm going to park it on the corner of um, 8th and Madison. And at least if it's not going anywhere, everybody that's driving into downtown is going to see my, my van and this billboard. So um, I was looking at joining the Portland Business Alliance and talking to their, um, their membership rep. And she was, you know, helping me like, you know, check out networking and stuff like that. Well, I get a call from her and she goes, Hey, um, the, the, um, the governor's liaison of film and media is going to be getting a hold of you because they're looking for a caterer with the truck. They have this TV show that wants to come to Portland. It's called leverage. Um, but he said they don't have, um, a caterer with the truck. And she goes, Mark Lopez, Crave Catering. I see it every day on my way into town. And um, that's not the kind of truck that he meant, but um, that that opened up the door. And um, we actually, uh, at a time where, you know, um, money was scarce and um, banks were really tight, I was able to um, get a loan and bought a, a hot truck. Looks like a food truck, um, but like equipped a little bit differently because you got to cook on set. And, um, and we actually connected with a LA film caterer who, um, I went down and trained with, uh, my chef went down and trained with, um, we worked on the, the set of, uh, 24 at the time with Kiefer Sutherland and, um, what was the other one? Um, my chef went to the vampire show or something. And anyways, um, yeah, it just things happen all of a sudden, just like, snowballed really quickly and and next thing i know we're you know um you know film production caterer and um and that uh, that led to a whole other um you know realm of things from um doing uh okay what else did we do um uh, oh portlandia um and oh, just that. So you're partially responsible for the city going to hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't write it. We, we just said it. Yeah, well, um, I find it interesting because one of the things that I've learned in, as I've gone through a lot of shit in my life is that it's very easy to envision doom, right? So when you're sitting there going, I have no business and what, what am I going to do? Uh, it, that's the precursor to the questions that you ask yourself, right? So, but I found that things happen if you just keep it moving. Those kind of things come out of left field, those requests. And now all of a sudden you're in a business you hadn't even envisioned, hadn't even thought of. 
earlier. And I think that's an important thing. In addition to what you were talking about, uh, about asking the positive, finding a positive question out of a negative. It's also to realize that some positives can happen that you can't envision. It's only abstract before it happens. But things will happen if you just get out there and talk to people um, and put your cart put your truck out there so people can see it. That's, by the way, you know, it, it seems like a an easy thing to think of to get your name on a truck and put it in a high traffic location. But I got to tell you, most of the people I know in the food business are not brilliant marketers. So just to do that is a very smart business thing in the food world. Uh, there aren't a lot of ways to reach people. So... Good for you. I'm glad that happened for you, and probably it was. It was. It was I'm sure it was fun on Port, the set of Portlandia. You have any anecdotes from there? That um, did did you have some interaction you know, with Freddie? Um. Yeah. So, um, like, he was a, absolutely one of the in in the film stuff. Like, they were actually the best film clients we had. Um, we we've um, of all of our clients that we've ever had, probably some of the best, but definitely some of the worst. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and not, um, it, it wasn't the actors. It was the, you know, producers and, and, you know, um, yeah, but, um, cool interactions with them. He was super cool. Um, I remember early one time early on in having, starting to grow our own produce, um, being on set and, you know, being there for lunch. And Jeff Goldblum was like, he was just over them. He was like, wow, what, what is this stuff? And I'm like, oh yeah, we grow it at my farm. And he was just totally enamored and intrigued. And I was like, I went home that day. I was like, I felt all, you know, jazz. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was asking about my stuff. And well, also, behold, grew it myself. He wasn't just an actor. He also now is doing food shows all over the world. So that's an honor to have him be impressed with yours because he obviously had some knowledge and interest in it at the time. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Have you seen his food show? You look like you don't. You I, have. I have not. I didn't even know he had a. Food yeah, show. no, you were looking like you didn't know. Yeah, he's got a. He's got. I don't know. know where it is. I've seen a few episodes, but he goes. He travels all over the world. It's kind of a food travel show. He's trying to. I don't know what he's trying to do, but it's good. So that's cool, and that's cool that you've had those interactions. And who would have known when you opened a taco truck? Or a taco, uh, right. this taco yeah, restaurant, taqueria, yeah. uh, um, that that would have happened. So keep going. So where are we in 19, uh, 2000 what now at Portlandia? It's got to be early 2000 teens or? Um, yeah, like 2010, right. 2011. You know, it was, it was like bef- just kind of before the economy was really starting to come back. Um, and... Um, you know, as, as, and as it did, um, it, um, it allowed us to, you know, continue to grow and expand. And, um, of course with, with Enron being our first catering client, like, and, and the ties to downtown corporate catering was always like one of our staples. Um, and, um, but you know, one of my business strategies has been to, 
like I'm, I, I feel like I'm the pioneer in my company. Um, you know, I start doing something and I'm like, Hey, can I get this to work? Is this, is this a thing? Okay. I think this is a real thing. Now I need to hire somebody that knows what the fuck they're doing and, um, and, and really, you know, take, take the ball from there and, and help me grow it. Uh, you know, so hiring people that are smarter than me, um, has been, has been one of my big strategies and, and, um, you know, we're at, you know, and, and I got to give a shout out to my, my team at Crave, like they are just amazing, um, people to work with. Um, they, we, we have such a collaborative environment with what we're doing. Um, you know, in over the years I've worked with, um, you know, many different, um, people and, um, you know, in, in, especially in, in the kitchen, you can get chefs that have really big egos and, and and it's also this balance of like, um, because they, you know, you want them to be confident in their food. Um, but it's, you know, it, it can be, it can be a challenge. And so we've really, um, that's something that we've gotten really good at over the years is, um, you know, who we bring onto the team, making sure that they're a right fit for us and we're a right fit for them. And, um, and, and then, you know, treating them, treating them well. How big is um, your team? You know, how it, big is it now? So we have about 15 full time and another 30, um, on call, um, 30 plus on call. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's still less than it was pre, uh, before the blip, you know, pre 2020. Um, but, um, but it's, you know, we're, we're getting back, um, to, you know, to, to closer to where we were before that. That's a big operation um, that you're running there that, uh, you know, to keep that many people employed full time, you got to have a lot of gigs going on. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, we've been lucky to um uh retain a number of really great clients. Um Nike um <laughs> is uh an um, amazing client for us. Um we've been, you know, years ago we we started catering for the Trailblazers sales team on um whenever they had a home game because their sales, their ticketing office would, you know, be super busy. And um, we catered for them for a number of years. And it was weird. The, the year that they um, made changes internally and weren't going to do catering anymore, we got connected with um, the, um, the, the sports trainer that, um, that, that, you know, trains them, you know, at their practice facility that was looking for another caterer to feed the players. And so, um, for gosh, maybe about four or five years now, um, we, we, we actually, um, feed the team, um, at their practice facility. Oh, that's an honor. There are a lot of, a lot of people starting a catering business that would, that would be their, that would be the indication that they've made it is to in Portland, Oregon, to be feeding the blazers. Uh, and I'm sure they have appetites too. So that's uh, uh, fairly profitable. They're eating a yes, lot. Indeed. Yes. Um, and, and, 
you know, over, you know, one of the things that I've found is being flexible opens up opportunities. And sometimes it's a, it, it's, it's one of my biggest strengths and sometimes it's one of my biggest weaknesses. Um, uh, you know, being too flexible when I shouldn't be. Um, but being flexible has, you know, allowed us to get into film catering. Um, it's uh, allowed me from, to go from being a taqueria to a caterer to, to now having a farm. Um, so um, that's opening up those opportunities is, is um, it's just been, it's been quite the ride and quite the blessing. It's, it's um, really interesting. So when did the farm come about? Was that to supply your catering business or was it another one of those serendipitous moments where you had an opportunity? Yeah. So I am a tomato holic. That's how it started. I love fresh tomatoes. Um, that's like my favorite thing in the world. And so, um, uh, when I met my wife, so she's from the Northwest here. Um, and when I met her, um, she actually had a couple of horses and she had a house in battleground, small piece of property. It was like two acres. And, um, you know, we started dating and then next thing you know, I'm moving in and, and then we get married. And, um, and then I'm like, you know, I'm going to grow, I'm going to plant a garden. And so of course I plant way too many tomatoes and, um, and I don't really, you know, I, I've done a little bit of gardening before that, but, um, I'm muddling my way through it, but I'm growing way too many tomatoes. So I take the excess into work with me and I tell my crew, Hey guys, you know, use these tomatoes. They're really good. Just don't tell people I'm bringing them from home. And, and this is back in the taqueria days. And, um, and why can't you be bringing day, them from home? Is that, uh, you gotta, well, you gotta go well, through so a certain... I, I just wasn't, yeah, I wasn't sure what the, you know, what the legalities or what the, what the process was. Mm -hmm. And, and that was one day I, I'm looking and we're putting together this, this catering event. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can't get these kind of tomatoes anywhere. I should be telling everybody I'm growing them myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, well, you own your own business. Why don't you figure this out? So I talked to the USDA and they had a couple questions for me. They're like, okay, does your catering business have a business license? And I said, well, of course it's a legitimate business. And does it have liability insurance? I said, well, yeah. Um, and, and is it operating in a licensed catering facility? And I said, of course. And the last question they had was, do I sell the tomatoes to myself? And I was like, no, why? And they said, well, you don't need to do anything. If you sell the tomatoes yourself, that constitutes a separate business over here. So then you've got to have the license, the insurance, and the processing license. And so um, since that point, the farm had operated under the P&L of the catering company. And, um, and then from there, um, when, when my wife was pregnant with our son, um, our, our first child, um, she decided she only had one horse left and she, she decided, you know what, I'm not going to have time for horses with a kid on the way. And so, um, she ended up selling her back to the people that she had originally got her from. And the next spring I look out to that horse pasture and I'm like, Oh, Hey, I can, I can expand the farm. I can expand what I'm growing. And, um, I hired the neighbor kid to help me because his dad had a tractor 
and I didn't have one. <laughs> and so um, he helped me uh, uh, prep some beds, and um, then I would just grow what was easy to grow. Um, you know, um, lots of lots of summer squash, um, and then later kale, um, tomatoes. Um, I still grew, but um, it, it became like a little bit of an uphill battle because. A, I really didn't know what I was doing, and B, um, you know, when, you get lucky when it comes to the weather out here. So um, I had, you know, one year that I had so many tomatoes, and um, and it rained, and it just like all the tomatoes split, and it just ruined everything. And it was like, oh, okay, well, I'm never doing that again. And of course, I I did so. <laughs> Kept going back to those tomatoes. Got to get my fix, and then I learned more. And um, um, I, I, one of my um, crew, one of my dishwashers, had a, a buddy who was a organic farming consultant, and so he came out and helped me out and gave me some direction, and um, that really um, helped me become more efficient. And um, again, back to finding somebody that's an expert in the field. So, um, and then things grew from there. And and then fast forward to 10 years later, or not 10 years later, maybe seven or eight years later. My, my, my daughter's 10 now. When she was born, I, was like, I came to the new question of how do I work from home more and go into Portland less? And the answer was a farm. It was like, okay, if I have a bigger farm, I can grow more produce. We can raise more livestock. Um, at the time we were, we just had, um, laying hens and, and then I can kind of bring work home with me and host events on the farm. Um, and, you know, and, and also, you know, part of that, that was a, a big drop for me is just seeing the amount of farmland in, you know, where I'm at in Clark County, Washington, um, it's disappearing. And, and there's a lot of really big pieces of property, big rural, um, you know, farmland out here um but it's just getting you know it's getting turned over and developed and um and so finding this 20 acre property was my putting my stake in the ground and going okay not here um we're gonna we're gonna keep this a farm and um and we're gonna you know do our best to to be stewards of the land and um and nurture that you know that symbiotic relationship between us and the plants and the soil and the animals that we're tending to. So. Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat in Portland, an institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. 79, over 79 years. I remember we were just saying 75 years, so time's flying, and uh, and we're coming up on an 80-year institution in Portland, uh, Ringside Steakhouse, where now, something they didn't have for most of those 80 years was, an, was outdoor dining, and their patio is awesome, and um, it's really nice spot to eat. They have, they have some heaters out there if you need them. It's really pretty. So whether you're eating, you know, when you eat at ringside, you can either eat in the beautiful dining room, the bar now, you can make reservations to eat in the bar, or outside. Lots of choices there, in addition to lots of choices for different cuts of steak. Right, Court? Yeah, I was just 
telling you this off air, Chris, I went just recently with my wife, Randy. Uh, you had been telling me you got to get the Wagyu. You got to get the Wagyu. I, I finally did um, because there's so many great items to choose from and I just hadn't got to it yet. I went with the olive fed Wagyu and easily the best steak I have ever had in my life. I, like, yeah. I was dumbfounded by it. It's a treat. It's not something you're going to get every time you go in there because it's a little expensive. Sure. But I've seen it for way more elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's something if you have, you know, a couple of times you get to say, just like you did, that it's the best steak you've ever had. And they yeah. have it. They have different options, too. So olive, olive fed is just one of them. The food, the food is delicious. And the service is absolutely bar none. The best in town. We had Colin serving us and just the best service the entire night. Best food. If it's a special occasion, if it's not a special occasion, Ringside Steakhouse is the place to go. Yeah, it will be just go in there. It will turn into a special occasion. There it is. So, uh, and they also have food to go now, and they even on their website they've got a, a scrolling banner. Ringside steaks are on sale, so that's a good opportunity as well. So they are on West Burnside. They're open. Let's give the hours here: four thirty to nine Monday through Thursday, four to nine thirty Friday and Saturday, and four to nine on Sunday. And, of course, set up those reservations. You can do that through the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com, or on the Open Table app. A lot of learning along the way, and uh, in the process, you're also learning how to be a father and uh, and a husband and all those good things. Um, But a farmer, a caterer, you weren't, as I said right up top, you're wearing a lot of hats. So... At what point were you then um, going out to markets and selling your your produce uh, and whatever else you were doing? And was that a profit? What was the most profitable part of your business? Um, you know, so the the catering has has business has been what is sustaining this um, all of this. And you know, my my idea with. Um, uh, bringing the element of agritourism to the farm um, is what I thought would help supplement and and make this um, financially viable. Um, the 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 first on on the new property here. Um, Pre twenty twenty, we we never even sold to the public. Everything we grew went straight to Crave, and um, it it was in. You know, it, it worked out well because the growth of Crave and the amount of stuff we were growing kind of had this similar trajectory. Um, but at, at the end of 2019, um, there was, you know, it, it's hard to grow exactly what you need. Um, it's, it seems like it was like either way too much or way too little. Um, and, um, and of course, when like we have an overabundance of something, we try and process it and preserve it for later somehow, whether it's, you know, freezing, batch freezing or um, drying or, or whatever we can. Um, but the peak season for the farm is also peak season for catering. Um, so as we, we um, as Crave has grown, we've really expanded into the um, uh, private event kind of space with like, weddings and and that sort of thing so um so it was it was you know a challenge juggling that 
you know, volume of business with the amount of produce that we were growing and, and what we're doing with it. And so in early 2020, it was like, okay, what else can we do with the, the abundance of produce that we have? And this is pre-pandemic, you're asking then, this question? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and then the pandemic said, wow. Here's what you're going to do with it. Well, you're not taking it to crazy anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, again, back to that question with the pandemic, it was like, kept going, okay, how can I make it work in spite of it all? And so um, the previous year, we had to put a new well on the farm, and um, we built this oversized pump house for the well. I was thinking, you know, it could be storage for tables or something. Well, I ended up turning that into an on-farm farm stand, um, which is, it's a little self-serve. Um, we're open seven days a week. Um, noon to 6 p.m. And, um, you know, where we're located, it's not on a high traffic road. Um, like, you know, I don't know, you see other farm stands while you're out and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a cute little farm stand right on the, you know, busy road. Well, that's not us. We're your destination um, we have to be stand. intentional to get here. Yes, yes. And, and so I wasn't even sure if anybody was going to come. Um, and of course, you know, I'm trying to be really mindful of, of money in 2020, and um, but I'm, I, I paid for 10 yard signs to be printed up, and I you know, strategically placed them at a few places in, in you know, Salmon Creek and um, the center and Woodland um, and in Vancouver. I think you should have put and, one in Madison at 8th just for old time's sake. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so the, the first people that came to the farm stand, they came from like 25 minutes away from here in, in Vancouver. And I was like, I was blown away. I'm like, you guys came all the, I'm like, okay, this is a thing. And, um, and then, you know, as I was navigating that and um, trying to, you know, figure out what, how else, how to bring business here. Um, Cause selling produce is a lot different than, you know, as far as, um, as far as monetarily, a lot different than, than selling a catering job. And so, you know, um, I'm, I'm dealing in, you know, uh, $5 bills. You know, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, so it was, that still wasn't like enough to supplement. And so, you know, it, this, this has been a continual process of um, really helping the farm become what it's becoming. Um, and so um, we got into like, um, we, we still do, um, you know, the farm stand seven days a week. Um, what I realize is because we're insured to have the public on the farm for our events, that um, people wanted to check out the farm. And so we, we made a, a map of the farm at the farm store and we let folks come and, and do a self-guided tour. Um, sometimes they'll bring a picnic lunch or um, they'll grab something at the farm store and, um, and, and make an afternoon of it. Um, we've got, um, now at this point, we've got um, laying hens. We've got over probably about 150 laying hens um, we've got a breeding pair of Scottish Highland cows, which, um, they're 
they're just um, very uh, unique looking. They're the hair in, in Scotland or in, in uh, uh, they call them the hairy coos because um, they've, they've got the big shaggy hair and the, and the long horns um, and are rosy and chewy. They just had their fourth calf um, and it's about a month old. Um, and then we've got um, some goats. And, um, and then we've got a couple livestock guardian dogs, um, the, the guardian sisters, I call them. It's uh, Luna and Shadow. They're, they're LGD mix, um, Spanish Mastiff, Anatolian Shepherd, Great Pyrenees, and Akbosh. Um, and, you know, a lot of farms, their guardian dogs will just live with their flock or their herd. But um, these ones are part of the family. So they, um, you know, they, they're, they're all over the property. Um, and mainly at the house with us. Well, that's fascinating. And now you're at the point where you're doing events there. And I know um, I'm happy to hear you're doing, well, it's kind of a little bittersweet, right? So a plate and pitchfork dinner in August. It's one of the plate, Erica Palmer's um, plate and pitchfork is in its 20th and final year. I've always been a proponent um, for anyone who lives in this area they must go and experience a plate and pitchfork dinner and it's sad that it's going to be the last year but it's cool that you're going to have one coming up in april and um i mean august a's it's an a month (laughs) and uh august 5th august 5th why don't you talk a little bit to it and um i believe there's still some spots left to go to that dinner correct uh, and this, by the way, yep. is as yep. of uh, July twenty first, where we're record- we will have released this. So, um. yeah. So, um, yeah, we were absolutely um, just honored to be a part of that. I've, I've, um, for a long time, just been very, um, in, very much admired Erica and what she's doing. Um, you know, it's, it's for her, it's not just about, you know, having a, having a, you know, fancy dinner on a farm, but it's about, you know, connecting people to the source of where their food's coming from. And, um, and then learning about like the challenges too. Um, you know, like I said, here in Clark County, we're losing farmland and, um, same thing as in Oregon. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to just, guess that um it's similar you know across the nation um when you go into communities like ours um and so um she's been a very big proponent and um not just um uh uh, like in in helping tout and and tell the story but but also each dinner um there's a um there's a in in she puts her money where her mouth is and, and, you know, I know she's been donating to um, farmers ending hunger and, um, some other, uh, uh, groups that, you know, help, uh, preserve farmland and keep it farmland. It's quite significant um, over a 20 year period, how much, uh, she's raised to, for, it is, for good it causes. Is. And, and, you know, I, I, as, as it's the last year for plate and pitchfork, I don't think it's the last we're going to hear of her because she's created a, a nonprofit called the Plate and Pitchfork Producer Fund, and that's going to provide financial support to family-owned farmers 
ranchers and food producers. So, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it will continue. Um, it, it's going to be a, a to be continued. And, you know, and on another level, too, I got to give a shout out to Erica because um, being in, in the restaurant industry and, and food service industry, um, she, in the beginning of the pandemic, she jumped into a role in the uh, uh, independent restaurant coalition that um, their advocacy um, helped create the RRF, which um, I know, um, although there wasn't enough to go around, um, I know it saved many, many places from going under. Um, it, and so without her work there, um, <laughs> we've, we, I, I wouldn't have um, the same business that I've got right now. Um, I, I don't see how we would have made it. So, um, you know, it's... Um, well, she was yeah, rallying a lot, a lot of people in a really, really tough time. Um, Big time. Yeah, Big time. and she, she, um, she's, she's a driven, a driven woman with a purpose, and, and um, I'm, you know, in any way that I can help her with, you know, what she's doing next. I'm, I'm, For uh, anybody who's interested mind. in hearing, and it's interesting. Episode 265, she is, she's, Erica's been on our podcast quite a bit, but 265, I think she's talking about, um, those, uh, that cause and what she's doing and what the needs are and how, how severe, um, some of the restaurants had been hit and what needed to be done. So, um, yeah, that's great. So who's, who's chef, who's Carlo, I believe is your chef in August, right? Carlo LaMagna, oh, who's also yeah. been on the podcast uh-huh. a few times. It's a beautiful thing about this. You could, by the way, and Erica could, and sh- I, I never tell anybody they should, but if you want to sell tickets to this, you, she could send out a text or an email with your podcast, which will be out there, Carlos podcast, her podcast, and people can have a, a complete complement of knowledge. I don't know if that's a term, but anyway, trifecta. a trifecta of yeah. knowledge before they even step foot at the, uh, onto the dinner. And, but that's not to take away from a lot of the live discussion that will happen that evening too. But it's pretty cool that, uh, we have three hours worth of, background for people and that's kind of been the purpose of this podcast but at any rate to get back to your uh, dinner do you host a lot of uh dinner do you cater a lot of dinners on the farm so um a a number of them you know it's it's pre before 2020 um we had been hosting about three dinners a year ourselves um and Um, and then, you know, one of the things that, um, as you know, after, after the pandemic, as much as I want to, you know, host dinners and and bring the public out and and as Erica, um, knows firsthand, it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, a challenge, you know, getting, um, all the parts and pieces in place while also selling tickets. And, um, you know, um, getting the interest in your events and, and, um, there's so much going on that, um, you know, we, we, and, and also with, with Crave, we've been so busy in the summertime that, 
Um, we haven't had the extra bandwidth to then, okay, let's come produce event an event over here. Cause when we, when we do a farm dinner, um, it means, you know, we have to say no to a wedding or to, um, to, a, a, a another type of event there. Um, and so, you know, um, we, we've been hosting events on the farm. We do, um, uh, a weddings here. We do company picnics. Um, and we do um, team building events. Um, we have this really cool little intimate event. I call it the farmer and the chef. And it's kind of a, um, you know, a hands-on um, approach to team building on a farm. And so we'll, we'll, we'll bring the, the guests in, we'll, you know, in the morning. And I'll talk about uh, sustainable agriculture and regenerative farming and what we're doing. Then we'll give them a farm tour. And, and this works for, you know, a smaller group, like, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30, 30 folks. And, and then from there, we'll create a choose-your-own-adventure. And we'll have, you know, um, different options um, to go with uh, chef, farmer. Um, and, and we'll break them up into, like, two or three different groups. And, you know, we'd, my friend Kelly from Flat Tech Farm, um, it's been amazing uh, to, to, to jump in and, and be one of our chef farmers. And we call her the greens goddess. And so the, the group that goes with her, um, it's, they're, they're going to like pick and harvest and taste and check and, and decide in what they're going to do to make like the ultimate salad um, or salads. And so they'll harvest, they'll wash, and then we'll have field kitchens set up and, and they'll go and actually cook together and um, they'll go to the herb garden. We've got uh, an orchard with, you know, um, fruit trees that are, you know, a hundred years old and we make uh, apple cider vinegar. So we'll get some of the apple cider vinegar and, and make their own dressing. Um, and, and then uh, another group would call it the diary of a vegaholic and it'll be all about the ultimate veggies whether they want to grill them or, or have them raw, the group will decide. They'll be like, oh, no, 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 we don't like this or not too spicy or, yeah, we want to bring on the heat. And they'll do the same thing, harvest, wash, and then go to a field kitchen, and, which is adjacent to the other one. And then the last group, um, I call it this grill is on fire. And it's, it's all about, like, um, using the different fruit woods that we have on the farm, to um, to cook and smoke, and um, we'll take we we seasonally raise heritage breed pigs, um, which we'll we'll be featuring some of that heritage breed pork at the farm dinner, um, and and then they'll decide you know what how are we going to uh, uh, um, uh, accompany that with you know are we going to make like a chimichurri or um, what, what else do we have on the farm that we can use to incorporate into that, um, you know, in, into the meal. And then everybody, it's interesting once like everybody gets cooking and we're all kind of adjacent to each other, you see the chatter and people start to, you know, just really open up and, and, um, and have a good time. And, um, we'll, you know, maybe they'll have a little bit of wine while we're cooking and then, we all kind of converge and then um, sit down and, and have a meal together and talk about the day. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's, I've, I've seen so many groups just like have 
so much a deeper connection after going through this kind of process. And, you know, maybe people that are um, a little bit more shy, but they're really good at cooking. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's like listening to them, and they're the ones taking charge. So that's cool to watch. That sounds cool. So people would contact you through Crave Catering for that or the farm or what? Give us all. So, so yeah, either way, you know, um, Gather and Feast Farm. Um, we have our own um, website and, and phone number. Um, and so that's a great way to contact me for events on the farm or, or even if it's like a big company picnic. Um, we also have made a number of like farmy games. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show Yellowstone. It became uh, kind of popular. Right. But I, I was watching it and they were they were doing this practice cow roping thing. It was like, you know, it looked like a little sawhorse. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to make some Scottish Highland roping uh, station. And, and then I got these practice ropes. And so we, we've got some different farming games for people to play when they come out. And I also, uh, am, um, I like to watch Survivor um, and the, the different challenges and stuff. And so I've kind of got some, uh, some Survivor-flavored um, uh, games as well. So, um, so whether it's, you know, like, uh, you know, intimate team thing or a big company picnic with families. And, mm -hmm. you know, of course, everybody loves seeing the cows and, um, we, we, I built this area where the cows are so you can take a selfie with the cows, like a little Highland cow selfie station. So it's a long way uh, from a taqueria. It is. It's it is. pretty cool. So listen, um, what we, we, we veered away from Plate and Pitchfork, so I just want to talk a little bit more about yes. that event and let you discuss what's going to go on there, who, who's featured, and what people can expect, and of course, where to get... Uh, we don't usually feature events on this because... Our, 50% of our listeners are listening in, in the archives, so some might be listening in November. So we'll spend a little time um, talking about the event, but talk a little bit about the Plate and Pitchfork Dinner on, on August, did you say the 5th, August 5th? Yep, August 5th, Saturday, August 5th. Um, there are still tickets left, um, uh, I, I think. Um, and so it's going to be um, Chef Carlo Lamagna of Magna Cuisina, and um, and his buddy um, Roberto Almodovar um, from WEPA, um, and and uh, Roberto works with Carlo. Um, they're good friends, um, but they they have different culinary perspectives. Um, and man, if you haven't been to um, Magna Cucina, and, and I know Carlo just opened a new restaurant, um, Magna Cubo. The, the food is just amazing. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I haven't had a lot of experience with, with um, his style of cuisine with Filipino food. And, and wow, um, it's just tons of flavor. And um, they're, you know, they're very, uh, how do we call it? Like, they've, they've got just this uplifting vibe. Like, you can just, um, you could feel the, the energy um, when you're around these guys, um, let me, I've, may I jump in um, here a little bit to, to yeah. expand upon that? So uh, long ago, I didn't know Carlo and I went to an event at Clyde common and when he was there 
Eddie and I started talking about doing one of my Portland food adventures dinners, uh, which we haven't done in a long time. But, um, and I said, yeah, sure. He's such an outgoing, fun person. I didn't know him very well. I said, yeah, let's do it. He came to me and said, can I do, can we not do Clyde Common food? Can I do Filipino food? And um, I said, this is your event. You do what you want. And I will say, you know, looking back on the over 80 events that we did, Carlo was just a wonderful presenter, but fun. You want to listen to him. You want to eat his food and you want to hear him talk at the same time. He's just one of the nicest guys. And he, since then, of course, he's opened Magna. He did pop-ups for years. And, um, and he's gotten a lot of uh, notoriety, James Beard nominations and, you know, a lot of local, uh, a lot of local kudos and, and people know him and everybody loves him. So, I would say of all ven- events people could go to this summer, this would be at, at the very least the most fun and quite possibly the most delicious too. Um, so that's my, totally. that's my endorsement for Carlo, Plate and Pitchfork, now you, everybody. It's, it's a good idea. Um, so, uh, and tickets can be had at Plate and Pitchfork PD. Is it Plate and Pitchfork? dot com or plate and pitchfork pdx either one just search plate and pitchfork portland and uh you can find the tickets there correct yeah plate and pitchfork.com yeah yep yep well i get confused yeah, because the, the instagram is plate and pitchfork pdx because somebody else has plate or i get pitchfork right or something, yeah so. at any rate but uh, and, and um the, in, in at the event, also, uh, Matt Beerson from Portland Wine Company, he's going to be pairing um, wines with, uh, with the dinner. So, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I, I haven't connected with Carlo recently. I don't even know if he remembers meeting me. Um, I remember meeting him at a pop-up years ago. Um, he wasn't cooking. We were, you know, attending and, um, and, and I just remember like this guy, I was like, wow, you know, we, we just chatted and, and, um, I don't know. I, sometimes when I go out, I, I may seem like I'm outgoing, but sometimes when I go out, I, I still feel like the fat kid at the high school dance where I'm like shy and don't talk to anyone and, and awkward. And, um, and like, I, I just remember I was feeling that way at this event and then, um, and then I meet Carlo and it was just like, it was like just radiant energy. And I was like, oh man, okay, super cool. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping he's um, listening to this because Carlo, um, we haven't spoken in a long time. We used to go out for lunch. We haven't done that in a long time. So maybe I need this podcast to help reconnect. I know he's way busier than he was when we met yeah, a few years a ago. And, you know, that is also indicative of the fact that you guys haven't chatted and you got this event coming up in three weeks. So, uh, or two. Now it's two. So, um, or two plus. Yeah, just around the corner. Right. August well, good luck with that. Anything else? So, um, do you get out in Portland at all to eat? Do you have some favorite places that you uh, like I've, to? I've got some favorite places, um, but I'm but I'm going to say like something that I've been um, super like excited about 
is um, is really the the level of food that's happening on this side of the river. So yes, I've been I've been sporting this hashtag come to the Clark side, um, and and you know um, there's. Yeah, there's some amazing places. Um, so I, I, if no, let let's mind, hear those because we've had um, we've had one of my favorite people on the planet, when, uh, Wendy Bumgardner, who's done podcasts on what's going on over there, and um, uh, let's hear some of your favorite reasons to go to Vancouver. Hashtag in yeah. the beginning. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So so there's a place called La Sorrentina. Um, it's in East Vancouver, um, and um, the it's a husband and wife that own it. And it like I told you, I'm a tomato holic. So when it comes to pizza, margarita pizzas are my absolute favorite. And um, I he's got the best pizza I've ever had in my life. It's just it's so um, I and and um, it, not just like. The ah oh man, there's so many things I want to say about because um, they're they're really cool people. Um, my son has medical challenges and and he was um, he actually had to make a wish to go to Italy, but we were supposed to go in the summer of 2020, um, and so that got canceled. Um, well, they um, they uh, they they had him over at at their place and had him making pizzas and. Um, and cooking and stuff, and it was it was really cool um, how they opened their place up to them. So, do they make do they um, make a fresh tomato pie like we got in New Haven, which was a white pie with cheese and just fresh tomato on there? Um, do they make that? Does anybody make it around here? So, um, I can't I can't speak to the New Haven style um, because I'm you know I, I'm. Yeah. I'm not saying um, New Haven style I, crust I, or anything. I'm just saying <laughs> what they do is take right? wonderful tomatoes and just put them, slice them, put them on a pie sure. with some mozzarella and probably some garlic, and that's it. It's a white pie. I I, I bet you if you asked them, they would. I know they have. Um, I know they have white pies. Um, I know they have, uh, or they call them Bianchi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I'm, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that maybe they're listening and maybe they'll invite us in to enjoy that cuz there, there are a few things right. there's very few things I miss in Connecticut and anybody listening to this podcast knows it's uh some pizza although we have such good pizza in the Portland area that's kind of gone away. Just give me my white clam. That's all. That's what I miss and lobster rolls. But anyway, go on. Go to the next. Yeah. You got some others, um, I'm sure. Okay. Elements Restaurant in downtown Vancouver. I've heard of this. Um, so I have, I've, I've worked with a lot of people and I've, I've eaten a lot of food over the years. Um, I, I was lucky enough to work for two James Beard award-winning chefs when I was in Vegas. Um, and Miguel um, Sosa and his wife are the owners of, um, you know, it's a chef-owned restaurant, small place. Um, but man, he has like culinary chops, like you wouldn't believe, um, you know, he grew up very humble, um, uh, very, um, uh, you know, he's like, we, we had to use every part of the, of the, you know, the food that we have, you know, down to the stems, down to every little thing, nothing was ever wasted. And that's how he cooks. And, 
the things that he's doing is just like um, really like in the, the stuff that he, um, that he creates is just incredible. Um, yeah. I can't say enough good things about elements restaurant in downtown Vancouver. They're, they're just um, phenomenal. Um, like if, like you go out for a nice dinner, that's, that's a hundred percent everywhere. And, or that's where I'm, you know, sending my friends on this side of the river. All right. Um, that, you know, it's interesting because long ago we weren't talking about Vancouver and since the, it seems I could be wrong, but since the pandemic, it's become, uh, a more exciting idea. The city's doing things that aren't happening in Portland and, um, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the suburbs, have been a destination for a lot of restaurateurs who weren't thinking about them before. Yeah. So um, that's yeah. good to hear. Any others? It, 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 it you know, um, Vancouver reminds me of Portland like 20, 15, 20 years ago, like how the food scene is just kind of exploding. Um, yeah. Uh, another favorite is little Conejo. Um, me having grown up in San Diego, uh, one of my favorite things is, is fish tacos. And um, I couldn't, you know, there's there's many places that I'll look, oh, fish tacos on the menu. And I'll be like, okay, how are you making it? And I'm like, um, okay, never mind. I'm going to have something else. Um, and and so, um, yeah, they've, they've uh, their, their fish tacos are amazing. Um, they're, um, making, not just making their own tortillas, but they're, they're, they're grinding, they're nixtamalizing, is that what they call it? Um, you know, making the masa themselves. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, what, what they're doing is, um, just incredible. Um, and yeah, cool, cool people doing it too. Fantastic. Uh, Those are some good suggestions. You got one more or do you, are we, are we good? So, so I, I'll, I'll give you two. All more. Right, two. And one of them, you already All know. Right, you can- Grasa, Grasa has moved to this side of the river. I've been a fan of Rick in his places for a while. Um, Crave is really close to Lardo and Grasa, you know, in Southeast. Mm-hmm. And um, that would be my like, okay, I'm done, done working. I'm going to go grab some food that somebody else made. And there's a perfect um, example of what I was talking about. Grasa was a, a Portland institution and now, uh, expanding outward into your area and also Lake Oswego too. Yeah. Um, and then, so, okay. So I, I know you like to hear about like, maybe not the mo the, the more glamorous. One. No, I like so there's that. a place called, called Muchas Gracias. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it, it's owned by, um, the, the same, there's, where I grew up in San Diego, there's uh, a, a little chain, you know, local chain called um, Roberto's. And we used to always go there late night um, or even in high school. Um, back then it was carne asada burritos. Um, when I go to Muchas Gracias now, though, I, I stick to the uh, the rolled tacos with guac. Um, they're, they're red taqueria hot sauce and they're carrots and jalapenos. That's uh, that's uh, always a always a winner for me i don't you know they have other things on the menu but um uh that's that's probably like my best recommendation you've successfully made my stomach rumble and made me wish i was closer to (laughs) vancouver right now because uh wow so while you're hungry yes get some of those 
get get a couple tickets to the farm dinner. All right, I ha- I have an idea. I know, I know. I have I have an idea. We're kind of busy that weekend, but I could, if I can get out of one thing, I can get into that perhaps. But oh, so I've, okay. I've been going to some expensive things lately, and I just. But anyway, I'll work on it. I I would love to go. Yeah. I'd love to go to the twentieth season of Plate and Pitchfork. I haven't been for a couple of years, and um, it would be wonderful. And more, most importantly, to actually meet you in person. I'm sure you're going to be there that night. Yes, indeed. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, wouldn't miss it. Um, and and um, Erica said that um, she gave me a um, a code, a discount code to offer also. And hey, everybody, it's uh, co-host Court Johnson just popping in here to uh, correct an issue before it becomes an issue, which is the correct discount code that Mark meant to give you. The uh, discount code you want to use is FORK, as in right at the FORK. F-O-R-K, use that for the discount. FORK. When you are, um, when you're uh, signing up for your tickets, she's like, okay, you can drop this code. Cool. So for, uh, let's, it'll be a mystery how much off it is, but I think it's a significant amount. So, um, let people try that and see what happens. I think that's the best marketing idea. Go to plate and pitchfork, put a couple of tickets and try the discount code and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and if you're, you know, looking to host an event or, you know, know somebody getting married, um, hit us up. Um, we got a beautiful venue here, but if we're not the right spot, um, you could always, you know, have Crave cater it. So beautiful, great. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and taking the time, and and it was short notice too. So thank you for making the time and and taking the trouble to uh, to yeah. come endure over an hour uh, with me. So thanks. Oh man, it's been it's been uh, a pleasure, and you know I've been a long time listener, and so uh, super stoked to be on the on the show and um you know we we you know i i planted a seed with you about uh baja um so maybe we'll oh, go back with that, ab- oh, the, that that seed was planted yesterday i've been watering it a little in my mind so let's see what we can do with that and also i must thank you for being a listener because we, uh, it's always nice to hear uh, from people who say that they've been a long-time listener or, and, and or an avid listener for any amount of time. We appreciate it as we come into a year. We complete 10. It's hard to believe. So I'm sorry we didn't get you in. You had quite a journey in those 10 years. But we got to hear about your journey way back from 1997 to, uh, so it's that uh, 26 years. We got a 26-year um, summary of your history. And I think it's fascinating. And I, it's really interesting to hear twists and turns. I think more twists and turns than most of the people we've had on this podcast. A lot of people open restaurants and that's what it is. And they open another restaurant. You have been finding your way, um, by asking the right questions of yourself. So. Yeah, yeah, and 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 using a little bit of my ADD to to my advantage. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, anybody who listens to this podcast knows I have a little of that. So because we venture off into different tangents and try to 
trying to keep a thread there, but uh, I think this was a cohesive episode, and I'm glad we did it. And uh, I'm looking forward to everybody hearing it and hearing how uh, your dinner went as well. And maybe that'll be firsthand. Yeah, I hope so. I uh, hope so. All right, awesome. man. Thanks well, so thank much. You, you take have care and day. have a good one. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right